This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Good morning. It's good to see you. As set out in instructions, our client, Prime Properties, has been struck by a number of difficulties in relation to this latest project. Just by way of recap, and as set out in the instructions, our client, Prime Properties, is redeveloping 40 to 50 Murray Mews in London. So it's a central London site, and it's the development of a hotel. Prime Properties owns the site as well. It's entered into a building contract with Main Contractors Limited. The contract is a JCT Design and Build 2016 form with some amendments as you'd expect. Now, this is the party's first project together. And whilst initially things had started off well, the client now has some real concerns about project delivery. The project is in delay. So in some ways, the lockdown has helped as it would not have been able to trade in any event. That said, it has some major bookings for this summer, including a high society wedding, and therefore it's the client's paramount priority to keep things on track from here on. Now, the initial completion date was 1st of October 2020, but they're now looking at 1st of August 2021, if things stay on track, to get in those bookings for the end of the summer. Now, as council has advised, has been advised, the latest difficulty has been this flood, which has caused delay. The client wants to ensure that it is doing all it can to cover its bases in terms of project delivery, but also mitigating its losses and protecting its position in respect of any claims. To that end, it has notified insurers already, but it really wanted some advice and guidance regarding next steps in relations to both its insurance claim and also dealing with the flood. Hi, Rupert. Well, thank you very much for the instructions. Um, in answering that question, I'm, I'm going to start by noting that I assume that the contractual obligations have been fulfilled. I haven't got a copy of the policy here. In summary, so that we're all on the pe same page, that, that really means that Prime Properties has taken out a policy in the joint names of Prime Properties and main contractors for all risks insurance to the date of practical completion um, or the last sectional completion statement. I'm not sure if we have sections here. No, we don't. It's just one completion date. Okay, so to practical completion then. And, and in this context, um, and I'm sure you know this, all risks insurance really means cover against physical loss or damage to the executed works, um, site materials, and the reasonable cost of removal and disposal of debris and of shoring and propping the works. Um, and by joint names, um, I mean the policy should provide for prime properties and main contractors to be named as composite insured parties. Uh, and the insurer should have no right of recourse against any party named as insured. The policy should also recognise each of main contractors, subcontractors as an insured, or include a waiver of rights of subrogation um, in respect of loss or damage caused by a specified peril. So it, it should avoid the difficulties that you, you previously got into in relation to subcontractors. Um, and in terms of specified perils, um, the JCT contract specifies that they include flood uh, and uh, escape of uh, water from a tank apparatus or pipe. 
um, investigated the cause of the flood in any great detail yet, but I'm told that it's possibly due to a pipe that has broken apart. The meaning of flood um, in, in a similar context to the, the JCT form and option B insurance has been considered by the courts and is thought to connote um, the invasion of property by a large volume of water caused by a rapid accumulation or a sudden release of water from an external source and, and usually due to a sort of natural weather event. So it may well be that we're in the territory of escape of water from pipe rather than flood, but we can get to that in a moment. Um, I understand then that Prime Properties has now received a notice from main contractors uh, pursuant to clause uh, 613.1 of the contract, which um, is a notice of loss or damage affecting uh, executed work or site materials, which they say was occasioned by a risk covered by the insurance policy. And here that may well be the flood or it may be a scoop of water from a pipe. It's not noticed, but I don't think we need it right now. It really just sort of kickstarts the process. And I think Prime Property should take the following steps. First, I think they need to start to investigate the cause of the flood um, and begin to form a view as to what they think caused it. The cause of the floods um, might be relevant to whether the insurance policy pays out um, and also to any contractual rights main contractor may have against prime properties. For it's likely, for example, it's likely the null risks policy, which should be in place here, as I just outlined, uh, would exclude loss or damage caused by defective design or workmanship. And I know uh, there's some suggestion in the instructions uh, that the flood may have been caused by failure to install a pipe correctly. That's correct. Installed correctly. It, it would be necessary to consider why, for example, the joint between the two pipes came away. Was that due to a problem with the design of the works? Um, and if so, we may find that it's falling out with the terms of the insurance policy. So the next thing I think the client needs to do is to have a look at um, and then obtain some advice in relation to the detailed terms of the insurance policy. I, I haven't got it yet. And that's to confirm uh, whether and in what circumstances payment will be made. Is it gonna be responsive to the cause, the likely cause of the flood here? And also need to start looking out for things like notification obligations and exclusions. For example, um, if main contractors cause the flood, is it going to pay out? And I think you really want to try and align with your insurer on their view of the cause of the flood as much as possible. Um, and, and that's because of the way the contractual scheme works to in just a moment but I think the next thing that should be on their mind after they've they've thought about the cause of the flood they've looked at the insurance policy is to start taking steps to ensure the flood damage is repaired and works on site resume as soon as possible um, and I'm sure other factors dependent on completion of the works it's quite important that they get going again as soon as possible if the loss is covered by the insurance policy and after any inspection that the insurer may have wanted to carry out in informing a view as to whether the policy is going to pay out. Under the terms of the JCT contract, main contractors have an obligation to carry out works to restore the damaged work 
and proceed with the carrying out and completion of the works. So if the policy is responsive, the insurer is inspected, is happy, then it should be main contractors that are carrying out the remedial works to repair the flood damage and then getting on with the rest of the works as soon as possible. There is a bit of an exception in the JCT if the damage is so great that there's material damage to existing structures, um, prime properties might have a right to terminate, but I, I don't think that arises here, or at least I don't understand it too um, on the instructions. It does cover the risk. The main contractors carried out their contractual obligation to carry out the reinstatement work. That reinstatement work is treated as a chain contract. Um, it isn't clear to me whether an employer's instruction is definitely required to affect that work. I think probably not, given that the reinstatement work is in effect a deemed change and the valuation rules treat it quite differently to an instructed change. So it's, it's a deemed change if the work is carried out. And then the broad scheme of that, the JCT contract we've got here is to require the contractor to authorise the insurance payment to be made to prime properties, and then for prime properties to pay main contractor in accordance with the contractual variation provisions in the next um, interim payment cycle. And in doing so, uh, prime properties uh, shouldn't um, withhold a retention and this cost of the loss or damage from any sums due. Um, we're looking at valuation in line with the insurance payout. And that really is a sort of a nutshell of, of where you get to when you first look at this problem, uh, Rupert. I hope that's enough of a summary to start. Yes, that, that's very helpful. And actually, you're, you're absolutely right, where certain investigation has been carried out in relation to the works and there's agreement in principle about the scope of remedial works to be carried out. And as you've stated, this, the client requires the contractor to carry out those remedial works and get on with it, which, as you say, will be deemed to be instructed under the contract. In that regard, as you'll be aware, Clause 6.13.6 deals with that reinstatement work being treated as a change, uh, capital C, and the contractor will be compensated accordingly as you've set out. But the other issue which slightly complicates things is that the flood or the specified peril has also caused a critical delay. And to that end, the contractor has also put in a claim for an extension of time and associated loss and expense. Um, and you'll know, so from the client's perspective, this makes things a bit more complicated to try and separate out because clause 226.9 has, inverted commas, loss or damage occasioned by any specified peril, close inverted commas, noted as a relevant matter as defined. So on the face of it, provided um, the main contractor can demonstrate critical delay, there is a prima facie entitlement for an extension of time. And for loss and expense, 421.1 notes a change which, as you've said, an instruction would be a deemed change to be a relevant matter. So the client is really trying to navigate how it deals with getting the works instructed, keeping the project on track, but also trying to understand how it manages all the losses that it will suffer as a result of these payments to be made to the contractor. Um, we've talked about the reinstatement works being covered by the policy, which I understand they will be. 
but will these other payments be recoverable under the policy? Um, that's the, the payments for the loss and expense. What are your thoughts on this, please? Sure. Well, answering slightly in the hypothetical here, as I haven't seen the policy, but probably as an all risks policy, it, it will cover the remedial works. Um, but I think it's fairly unlikely that an extension of time claim or the loss and expense or even prime property's own consequential losses would be covered by that all risks insurance. It, it's not common usually you'd be looking for separate cover for financial or consequential costs or losses caused by delay to completion. Um, so I, I believe you've already advised the client of this, but I think it's quite important to keep separate the, um, the way in which the remedial works are dealt with under the contract and the way in which um, extensions of time, loss and expense are dealt with. Um, and starting with time, main contractors need to give a notice, which I believe has been given, but you'd want to check that that conforms to the contract. Um, and then they need to give particulars of the expected effects uh, as soon as possible. Um, as you said, um, an, an extension of time claim is dependent on there being a relevant event. Um, there are two possible events here. Um, the reinstatement works themselves, which are deemed to be a change, and a change is a relevant event. Um, and possibly the flood itself as a specified peril, um, if in investigating the cause it falls under flood or escape of water from any pipe. Um, and, and fault doesn't come into it here. If it falls within the specified peril definition of flood or escape of water, it, it will be a relevant event. But it doesn't end there. The contractor needs to demonstrate that the relevant event caused critical delay to the works. And then even if it gets through all those hurdles, um, if it's shown that the flood was caused by the main contractor, um, due to the uh, amendment we've got here to the JCT form, main contractors would not be entitled to time for the first four weeks of the effect of uh, the remedial works or the, the flood itself, whatever was the cause of the delay. Um, if the delay for longer than four weeks, Prime Properties is obliged to have a fair and reasonable extension to the completion date. Turning, turning briefly to money as a, as a separate claim, again, the contractor needs to give notice um, and need to set out the likely effect of what they consider to be a relevant matter on regular pro progress. Um, they need to accompany that notice or, or shortly thereafter with their assessment of the loss um, or expense and they need to keep giving you an update at monthly intervals. Whether loss or expense is awarded depends on there being a relevant matter. Um, the unamended JCT form is quite narrow in relation to money and it's materially different to time. There are, there are two possible matters here. Um, the reinstatement works themselves being a change but much narrower in relation to the flood or the escape of water. Um, main contractors would only be entitled to money if they could establish that the cause of, of that flood escape and, and the effect on their works was due to an impediment, prevention or default of prime properties. 
um, and I know works are ongoing to investigate the cause, but I understand preliminary assessments are it's, it's unlikely to be prime property's fault. I should just add here, money also depends on there being an impact to the regular progress of the works. The money here we're talking about is, is prolongation costs. Um, so the client would want to be thinking about whether the works had stopped due to the flood or the reinstatement works or were critical works affected. And again, there's a contractual amendment that bites. If the loss or expense claimed is um, due to the regular relevant matter, they're not entitled to money for the first four weeks if the flood uh, was caused by the main contractor's default. Um, and just to round this off, when Prime Properties receives this claim, they need to try and provide an assessment within 28 days of the main contractor's initial assessment. So quite a short period um, to form a view. So it would be wise to be lining things up in the background um, but before that claim fully comes in. Okay, that, that's great to know. And actually, as you said, whilst investigations are ongoing by the insurers, the suggestion is, that it's a contractor default as to cause, but it's not definitive yet. So that may impact any claims, um, but good to take note of that time period as well. Um, to what extent then, if we're dealing with the insurance claim and how this sits with any contractual claims, to what extent is the insurance claim impacted by any contractual claim and vice versa, please? well in terms of the policy but um, as as the policy is or, or should be in joint names the the insurer would have no a subrogated claim against main contractors um if they were found to be the cause of the flood um but the policy was otherwise responsive and and by that i mean and I'm sure you know this, Rupa, insurers are often able to step into the shoes of the insured party and bring a claim against the party responsible for the damage and loss to recoup some or all of the amounts the insurers had to pay out. The policy the party should have in place here would not allow the insurer to do that. Um, as to the effect of the insurance policy on a contractual claim, there's a presumption that where both parties are jointly insured, they are each precluded from bringing a claim against the other in relation to the loss for which they're both insured. Um, there's a really good House of Laws decision, uh, Cooperative Retail Services, which summarises this point um, in the context of the JCT contractual scheme. Um, the case concerned of fire peril under the 1980 JCT form and the claim cost of the reinstatement works uh, its professional fees is consequential on the delay to the project. The House of Lords Hall, and given the nature of the insurance terms and the way it interacted with the JCT contract, the contractor was not liable to pay compensation to the employer for loss and damage to the works, which may have been caused by the fire prior to the date of practical completion even though the fire was caused by the contractor's negligence, breach of statutory duty or default. And that was because the funds for the restoration of the physical damage came from the insurer who had no right of recourse against the contractor. And the contract left each party to bear from delay caused by the fire. 
the contractor was entitled to an extension of time and as the contractor had an extension of time the employer could not uh, claim delay damages against him there are slight nuances to this in, in prime property of the, the four-week lockout that i've just discussed but i think the case gives a really good summary of the way broadly risk is allocated in the jct form and um, if it's helpful i can include each's in my note following this con um which you or the client might find helpful to read I think that would be very helpful because, as uh, as you've said, that gives an indication of the way the risk is set out. Um, and whilst we suggested that um, investigations are ongoing, the suggestion does seem to be that it was contractor default here. Now, in that regard, um, the loss adjuster has obviously been carrying out their own investigations. And there's been some correspondence exchanged around the issue, which suggests that from the client side that it's contractor liability. Now the contractor has been disputing this and has prepared its own experts report as to cause, um, which suggests that actually it wasn't to do with any defective workmanship and it was, it was just one of those things as it were. Uh, from the client's perspective, how can this be addressed and would it be necessary for the client to engage its own expert at this stage given the loss adjuster is also investigating? Well, I think we want to be careful. If, if the insurer is willing to pay out, we don't want to be positively putting forward a, uh, a case that undermines that. Um, and it seems likely here that main contractors are really uh, fighting about the, the four-week lockout in the contract. They're trying to get the time and money that would otherwise be excluded. But, but for now, I suggest Prime Property does two things. Firstly, they should start to gather their own evidence in relation to the flood. Um, in particular, they should do so before any remedial works are carried out and before too much more time elapses. So that could be photographs and videos of the damage. It could be daily diaries of those on site. Um, it could be speaking to those who are on site um, and then writing down their own recollections. Um, it's amazing how quickly everybody dissipates off these projects and it can be quite hard to find the relevant person who was there at the time. So it's quite a good idea to just, just capture that now. And if they've not already done so, I suggest Prime Properties considers engaging their own expert and that expert conducts a site visit. Um, in saying all this, the best outcome here is likely to be a negotiated outcome between the parties rather than resort to litigation. And I think it's likely to be in the interest of all the parties to remediate the flood damage, uh, carry on with the main works and then not get stuck into protracted battles about causes. So in doing this, I suggest it's very much a, a background um, protective position at the moment, rather than going in aggressively um, against um, main contractors. I, I totally agree with that strategy. And as stated, given that um, prime properties sort of paramount priority is to get the project completed, it's not seeking to engage in anything adversarial at this stage. However, say, saying that, it's interesting to note your advice about prime properties even taking that stance 
getting its own expert engaged just so it can help to reinforce its position and advise on strategy, even if that is just negotiation. It just shows the importance of having your own technical advisors uh, upon whom you can rely and getting them engaged at early stages, um, as well as the, the points you made about preservation of evidence and those housekeeping rules about keeping records and getting contemporaneous evidence um, locked up and maintained as well. That's been a really helpful summary and is in alignment with some of the key strategies that we've advised the client. Um, I appreciate you'll be following up with a note of this, this con, which will be helpful for the client to see. But I just wondered if you could summarise the key action points that Prime Properties needs to focus on going forward as you've set out in this con. Sure, no problem. How the flood was caused, um, consider employing an expert and should start to gather as much evidence as they can. Um, I think we check the terms of the insurance policy. Um, will it pay out on the basis of the likely cause of the flood? Does the insurer need to be given an opportunity to inspect? Has uh, Prime Properties done enough to notify the claim? I think they need to take steps to ensure the aired and that the works resume as soon as possible. If the loss is covered by the insurance uh, and the insurers had an opportunity to inspect, main contractors have, have an obligation to carry out those works. Hopefully, prime properties would receive payment from the insurer for those reinstatement works and any associated professional fees. Um, if paid, they should then for the reinstatement works as a change under the contract, using that money from the insurer and without retention. They should consider the, um, both the reinstatement works and the flood um, may well be a relevant event. Um, main contractors need to demonstrate that it caused critical delay and how much delay. They get no time for the first four weeks, but if the effects continue longer than that, prime properties should award a fair and reasonable extension to the completion date. And then they should consider any, this is likely to be much harder for main contractors as we've discussed. They might be able to claim prolongation costs if the delaying event is the remedial works. Um, only will they be entitled to uh, costs for delays caused by the flood if they can establish the flood was caused by any impediment prevention or default of prime. But main contractors need to give sufficient notice and demonstrate critical delays. And again, they get no money for the first four weeks. Um, and in a nutshell, that's, that's a summary of what I think they ought to be doing, Rupa. Well, that's, that's really useful. And I'm glad to see that we've ticked off some of those boxes already. So the client is definitely well underway. Um, and I'm sure they'll be very pleased to receive your note of con. Um, so that we can help advise strategy going forward. Thank you very much. That was extremely useful. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Please join us for our second instalment, where we will add further facts to our scenario and additional complications. And we'll have Barrister Charlie Thompson, also from Keating, joining to give us some advice as we engage in part two of the mock conference with council. Thank you very much. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. 